0: Supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does happen.
1: Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa. And science advisor Matt Moniz, and if you can tell by my voice, I'm a little bit under the weather tonight. But that's okay because we have a special guest host in the studio with us as well. Shannon Sylvia from Ghost Hunters International is here with us in the spooky studio. Good evening, everyone. It's great that we got you to come down here. You know, it's it's we're right centrally located in the middle of so many paranormal vortexes that it's <laughs> you know it's every investigator's dream to to come and hang out in the Freetown State Forest, the Bridgewater yeah. Triangle. Haunted Cape Cod, and we're smack dab in the middle of it, so we're glad you could join us for a bit here.
2: Oh, it's an honor to be here. I'm really impressed with the uh, facility here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, it's you great. haven't been
1: on <laughs> a lot of radio stations, and I take it.
2: I've been on bigger ones than this, and this is much better than the one I've been on.
1: Really? Make, yeah. Matt, make a note. Make sure we don't go to any of those stations. <laughs> we struggle enough. It's all good. But uh, we are here. We're going to talk to Shannon for the entire second hour tonight, and we'll take your calls as well at 508-996-0500. 508 Because I have a lot of questions myself About what it's like to investigate Over in Europe and some of these other countries Where, you know, the facilities Aren't really what we're used to here And even when we have to charge up our cameras We have to make sure that we have the right converters And everything, <laughs> I mean yeah. I, I have enough problems remembering to charge things up uh, With US plugs, but we'll get into all of that And more, but first, in the first hour We're going to talk about, if you remember a couple weeks ago There was this alien video That came out in the news And we talked about it here on Spooky South Coast as well, and and we have some questions about the video. We're going to talk about that in a little while with Stan Romanek, the gentleman who shot that footage. But joining us now on the line is Jeff Peckman, who is working with Stan to get this information out there, and he's also pushing uh, the idea of an E.T. commission, and we talked about that. Matt Moniz and I talked about it back and forth in great detail. We're going to get Jeff's take on that and uh, the callers as well. So let's go right to the phones with Jeff. How are you tonight, Jeff? Hi, thanks for joining us.
3: Thanks for having me on. This is a great uh, honor.
1: I know we're kind of a a letdown after hanging out with David Letterman. How how was that?
3: (laughs) I got a cap. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, it was great. You know, I mean, it was just just perfect, I think.
1: Uh, And I like the way that the approach that Dave took. You know, he, he, he had fun with the topic, but he didn't make fun of the topic, which I thought was, you know, the perfect way to handle that.
3: Right. They did their funny spot earlier on, which I thought was great at the Jamba Juice store.
1: The the interesting thing, too, about a lot of these mainstream news organizations and a lot of these mainstream entertainment programs is they're starting to not really laugh at the whole idea anymore as much as they're willing to, you know, have a little bit of fun with it, but they're not really calling anybody kooks for coming out with these ideas anymore.
3: That's right. It just seems to be the time for this to get out. I mean, we've had 60 years' worth of interest built up and a lot of suspicion about the government's motivations for hiding this information. So now that there's a convenient way to get this to the people and even the uh, members of Congress have consistently said that for this to get out, you know, don't count on the federal government just releasing this. It's got to be done at the grassroots level. And when I saw that there was quite a lot of evidence in the private sector uh, from Stan Romanek and from others, I thought, okay, that exists, and a ballot initiative is something I know can get it directly to the people uh, without any involvement of government. So that was really how that started.
1: And now, t- just to, to give a little bit of your background here, you're not necessarily a UFO guy, per se. You're no, not, not uh, one of these researchers that are out there all the time in the field. Your, your expertise is kind of in, in different technologies, right?
3: I like to promote whatever is very cutting-edge as a solution that can benefit uh, the, the world uh, at large, and uh, certainly in my own life. So, yeah, that's what I do, but I also like to be sure that people are informed about important things. And this acknowledgment of the existence of extraterrestrial beings and their visitations to Earth, I think, is extremely important. It's life-changing. It's you know, world-changing. Uh, so it just really needs to get to the people. They have to have that information and to be able to decide for themselves what to do about it.
1: But now working with a lot of these cutting-edge technologies, we talk about it here all the time, but a lot of these new ideas and new concepts that we're finding, especially when it comes from the government's uh, drawing board, a lot of these technologies can be related back to maybe extraterrestrials.
3: Yes, Dr. Greer in the Disclosure Project seems to have a lot of information on that. He's going to give a presentation in Denver July 9th. And so I'm, I'm fairly new to that as well. I'm eager to hear more about it. But, you know, I think about every time I'm putting gas in my car, I'm just, like, grumbling. <laughs> you know, and I realize now that, uh, you know, we might have been weaned from fossil fuels decades ago if the government would have shared what it knows and what it has reverse engineered with our taxpayer money, uh, shared that with us so that we could move forward with these advanced technologies that seem to be of extraterrestrial origin.
1: You know, it's funny. We're we're going to talk a little bit later on in our Week in Weird segment about the Chinese creating a a UFO, but... You know, it seems like they can create these technologies or, or maybe reverse engineer these technologies that allow us to operate, quote-unquote, spaceships, yet, you know, we're still so reliant on oil and gas-powered engines to get ourselves around.
3: Uh, it's true. I, I think these technologies are going to pop up all over, and my guess is it might be countries other than the United States that really get the jump on it. They're so, not so entrenched, not as entrenched. Uh, and under the influence of, you know, big oil and gas, as the U.S. is.
1: Now, obviously, though, if we're able to take some of these technologies from these races of of alien beings, then we must be having some sort of regular contact with them, or at least being able to get our hands on this technology somehow.
3: Yes, you know, again, with the whistleblowers within the Disclosure Project talk a lot about this, and Stan has many different uh, interactions and I think, as I've heard that thousands of people around the world do as well. He just happens to have documented his very carefully so that it's a very convincing case when you see it all at once but uh, I don't know exactly you know how how fast this transition will happen, but obviously there's a you know the the dam is broken I think a lot of information is going to reach people very quickly they'll have a variety of uh ways to respond to it initially, but I think over time, more and more people will get on board, and this will be a new reality that just sort of sets into our collective consciousness globally.
1: Well, we are talking with Jeff Peckman of the Extra Campaign. You can check out their website, extracampaign.org. And now the idea behind the campaign, campaign is that when you know humans and aliens are forced to interact, that we should have some sort of guidelines for that. Uh, what do you see as the role of the campaign in developing these type of uh, initiative?
3: Well, the campaign has really just created the, uh, the concept for the commission, and it will be put on the ballot. And the commission, it's very specific. When you go to extracampaign.org, you can read three legal-sized pages of text describing what the commission will do, what its responsibilities are, how the commission members will be uh, appointed by the mayor and all that, how it will be funded, which is not by city money, not by taxpayer money, but merely by grants, gifts, and donations. But basically, it'll be an information gathering. It'll gather the information, the best available, credible evidence will be gathered by this commission. They'll share it with the people and with city departments who would have a reason to know in the context of their responsibilities for the health, safety, and well-being of the people in the city.
1: Now, you need 4,000 signatures from uh, registered Denver voters to to get that on the ballot? That's right. And uh, how are you progressing so far?
3: we are progressing and more volunteers are helping out but quite honestly you know the, the media attention did take my attention away quite a bit at a time when i you know would have been organizing more volunteers and i didn't really expect that this would get any media attention until later in the summer when we were turn would be turning in the uh, signatures but we're doing fine as you know we're not anywhere near what we thought should be the goal within the first month uh, if we were trying to get on the November ballot, but I've made a decision that after looking at the global interest and the depth of the questions that are now coming up from the media, it seemed better just to you know use up more of our allowed six months rather than trying to rush it on the November ballot in six weeks, to actually use up more of those six months and then have it go on to the spring ballot and extend the voter education period so that we can really go very much more in depth into this issue because there's so much more to know and to share with people to, you know, kind of get them up to speed.
1: Well, I mean, what's what's the population of Denver?
3: About 550,000.
1: So you think out of that number, you know, you could at least convince 4,000 people that this is a worthwhile thing to at least get on the ballot. I mean, I think maybe people aren't quite understanding that it's not going to make any kind of binding referendum here. Uh, Just putting it on the ballot gives the public a chance to voice their opinion about it. And I think if you can get it on there, I think you're actually going to be overwhelmed with the response from the general public once it's right there on that piece of paper staring them in the face. And they'll say, yeah, I don't really see a problem with that at all.
3: Yeah, that's true. And, you know, there's, there's one value in educating people about something, but there's something completely unique about it. Ballot initiative. In that, in that moment when they vote, they are acting as a lawmaker, and they seem to rise to that occasion, rise above their you know daily concerns and think, "All right, I'm I'm just making a decision that could impact my family, my community, the country, the whole world, maybe our interaction with the galaxy, other cultures and other galaxies." And so, in that moment, they do rise to the occasion. I think it has a transforming effect on people. They go, they deliberate. Uh, very seriously on any ballot initiative much more than a lot of other things and I think it's very strengthening and it really does get right to the heart and the power of our self governing uh, democracy and so I, I appreciate it for that reason and I'm very excited to get it on the ballot and you're right I don't think we'll have a problem getting those signatures but it takes it's a matter of coordinating people getting out there and you know different places and we're just kind of starting that up earnest now because really there were just about six weeks of almost non-stop interviews and and other aspects that didn't allow me much time to organize the signature gathering.
1: See, It just seems strange to me coming from where we live here in Massachusetts. uh, The three of us all live in a small town where somebody is putting forth an initiative to get the entire board of selectmen recalled and uh, (laughs) where he's probably having easier success of getting that done than getting something like this on a ballot. I mean and, and this is something like you said you know gift money grant money it's not going to be coming out of the taxpayers pockets it's one of those things like the way i see it it's no different than you know paying for car insurance you know you're 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 putting forth some money and some time and hoping that you know if the situation arises it's there for you and i think that that's why we need to have something like this et commission that you're proposing Um, but what exactly do you envision that commission as, as serving
3: i'm sorry what was the question
1: when you can actually get this E.T. Commission approved and created, what do you see its role being?
3: Again, it will, uh, it will be an official body that will collect this information and share it with the public through the uh, city government website, uh, in exhibits and museums, whatever evidence can be shared. Um, it will you know, do, you know, help to evaluate both the risks and the benefits of potential interactions with these extraterrestrial beings, it will uh, make sure that, for example, that the various uh, you know emergency resp- first responders have the proper training to know what to do in case they they come across the you know a wounded extraterrestrial walking down the highway. I mean, those things have happened. You know, there was some incident in New Jersey where there was actually a, a crash and uh, an extraterrestrial being was walking out. And happened to be on an army base, and they shot him. <laughs> you know? And so he went over to the runway of an air force neighboring air force base, and they found it, you know, dead at the end of the runway. So, you know, we need to uh, we need to understand what to do so that it's not one of those shoot first and ask questions later kind of scenarios all the time. Um, you know, they're obviously coming here for some purpose. It's believed that they have they're very benevolent that they have to technologies to share they have concern over our use of nuclear weapons and nuclear power uh, that they're worried that we're basically trashing our planet and that that could have you know ramifications beyond our planet. So uh, we need to just let people know that yeah this is a reality I mean people there's so much of this known in federal government and yet they continue to deny that it exists at all and I think that puts us all at a disadvantage. Uh, both in not knowing how to deal with potential risks, even of, you know, potential contamination from a craft from another uh, galaxy, um, or the benefits of interaction. We're just kind of in the dark on this.
1: And that's one of the things that's kind of upset me a little bit with the mainstream coverage of this idea, is that they're kind of looking at it as simply being, you know, the creation of a welcome wagon for first contact. And what they don't realize is, you know, like you said, there's going to be so much more constant work that goes in, involved in this campaign and involved in this commission and trying to, you know, bring all this information out to the public. And this is something that's probably being done for years now in a clandestine manner. And we're you're just trying to bring it into the public eye.
3: That's right. We we just you know things just won't get done like they need to if the public is left out of the loop.
1: Now, uh, using this um, video uh, as a way to show people that they are here and they are coming down i mean what's your reaction been from people uh, in the media when they saw that little bit that you showed at the news conference
3: well that actually was uh, that wasn't really meant from my side it wasn't meant to be a a press conference where we're saying you know here's the absolute proof you got to tell the world about this it wasn't that at all Mm -hmm. it sort of got built into that uh, It it escalated (laughs) into that kind of scenario Within the media itself, my intention was simply that I had been interviewed by quite a few uh, local reporters early on in the campaign, and, uh, and I didn't even tell anybody I was. I didn't tell them I was doing this. They just found out uh, because it was a matter of public record, and then that got picked up by Associated Press and all that. So I just, you know, was going through a couple of steps, and they found out and started reporting. And when they asked me, you know. What compelled me to do this? I said, Well, I've seen a lot of evidence, and somebody else said that it would not be shared. This information wouldn't come from the federal government, so I just decided to take this strategy as a means to getting that information to the people. And uh, what happened was they said, Well, you know, so what kind of things have you seen or heard? And so I told them some of the evidence, and I mentioned the video, and they just really locked in on that. They Mm -hmm. said, You have a video? a video a real video can i see it how can i see it you gotta let me see it you know (laughs) getting all excited and i thought okay okay i'll I'll see if you know if there's a way for you to see (laughs) and uh so i asked i knew that stan uh, i didn't really know stan i'd only you know met him once but i'd seen his presentation so through another friend i said you think stan would be willing to show part of this presentation that he normally gives over three or four hours and he finally agreed under you know with certain conditions that had to be met so that was it, you know. To me, it was just going to be a kind of informal gathering of a half a dozen local reporters that would see some of the evidence that I did, because they asked for it. And I thought, okay, they reported on this. I'll do it as a favor. And then it really got uh, built up to be this huge thing and the ultimate proof of extraterrestrials. And you know, I never, never presented it that way. But their response, which was really your question, was, I think, the best possible response. They didn't know exactly what they saw. They weren't convinced that it was a hoax, and they weren't convinced that it was absolute proof, but it kind of left them in that state of, huh, did I just see what I was told I was seeing? <laughs> you know, It left that question, and I think they're eager to see more evidence and better evidence. I mean, that was a grainy photo that they got because... It was taken as a still from a video, and so it is going to lose resolution. Mm-hmm. But I think that that was the best possible outcome because it wasn't absolutely clear, but it left that question mark in their mind.
1: And, and a lot of the reporters, when they came back with their stories, I read a number of the stories of those who were actually there. And, of course, it's kind of like you know being there for Barry Bonds' you know, record-setting home run where only so many people could have fit into the ballpark, but suddenly a million people are telling the story. And it seems to be that way kind of with this presentation as well. You know, there was only a set number of people in the room, but there's so many people out on the Internet claiming to have been there and have seen it. Um, But a lot of the reaction to it is that that I've read is, you know, at the very least, it's something that's going to open up the discussion and it's going to make it, you know, more part of the regular news reporting to say, hey, here's this evidence, you know, let's see where we can go from there. And I think once the documentary comes out and people can see all of the footage that you know, the news media got to see that day, then maybe they'll be a little bit more convinced. But for now, like you said, a grainy photo, a lot of people are having a tough time, you know, buying into the idea of alien presence based on that.
3: Yes, and and having that that introduction to me was, you know, we talk about extraterrestrials having advanced technologies for energy or transportation. I think they must have some really advanced PR <laughs> <laughs> knowledge because when you think about it, one of the things, if they've been observing this for you know, a long time, one thing that they would know is that, you know, at least in the United States, on any given night, you could look in just about any, bedroom, any uh, living room window and see people sitting around looking at a face in a window. We just call that television. And that face is somebody singing or giving the news or in some sitcom or something like that. But that's what we do. We look at a face in a window. So now, all over the world, you've got this, what appears to be an extraterrestrial, in a window, and everybody's looking at it, and yet it's just that simple, I think this is going to be a historic kind of thing, it's just that one instant of a glimpse and a question in their mind that I think is a very kind of gentle way to introduce an extraterrestrial race to the human race without a lot of panic because uh, it's not so absolutely certain what it is and uh, without anybody firing at it it's just sort of like huh and this is all over the world now so i just think it's a kind of a brilliant stroke of public relations to have that extraterrestrial introduced into our culture in that way as, as one means of introducing it and there's certainly a lot of other things too happening
1: well, and when you mention it from their perspective as well, that brings me back to the idea of this ET commission because obviously, if they're coming here and they've been doing so regularly, they must have some sort of, you know, body in place of how they're going to interact with us. They must be making some sort of decisions in that regard. So it only makes sense that we do as well.
3: Yeah, right. They've probably seen that you know we tend to be trigger happy. Uh, we may panic pretty easy. <laughs> you know, they've probably learned a lot. And even even Stan's role in this, you know, one of the other things they probably would have learned is just that one of the most popular archetypes in our culture, in our literature, is that of somebody who has no particular standing in society, no great resources, uh, an unknown person, and yet all of a sudden that innocent person is put into a situation that's very extraordinary in some way. and Drawing on their best human values, they rise to the occasion and inspire a village or a nation or a generation. and. So here's Stan with all this evidence, and, you know, he just was totally surprised by it, and yet it's his story that's getting all around the world.
1: And we will get Stan's story in just a few minutes, but one question I do want to ask you, Jeff, is if I don't think it's going to fail to get the 4,000 signatures to get on the ballot, but once it does get on the ballot, if it doesn't pass and it doesn't become, you know, something that the city of Denver supports uh, at least, in that regard, is this something that can be done uh, on a private basis? Is this something that you're looking at doing in the private sector or will you just not have the access to the government facilities that you would need to have?
3: Well, I think by the time the election occurs, the campaign itself would have almost served the purpose that the commission is being created for, Mm -hmm. which is to bring this knowledge right to the people in a way that will allow them to be informed and empowered to make the best use of it. So if the if it doesn't pass, I mean, fact is that the city council, if it chooses six months after the commission is formed, they can disband the, disband the commission. They can repeal the ordinance that was passed with a supermajority. So there's nothing absolutely guaranteed as a result just by establishing the commission. But I think getting to that point of the election and having all this information out there will just change the whole dynamic of what's going on. And, uh, you know, to do that, I think, you know, now I'm I'm sort of embarking on also a fundraising thing and inviting people to, know, to donate so that we can hire paid petitioners because there's actually other special events that we want to organize uh, benefit concert maybe with Michael Luckman uh, who wrote Alien Rock you might know of him mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Dr Lynn uh, Kite who did the the uh, Phoenix Lights documentary she's going to be here in August we're trying to organize something for her. I think there's a number of f- special events that will just kind of bring this into the awareness of the public in uh, on, on a cultural way, in a scientific way, in an educational way, so that the end result would be, you know, whether the commission exists or not, I think the uh, the intention, the, the goals of the commission would have been largely achieved by the time of the election.
0: Well,
1: I mean, that's what ballot initiatives are for, too, really. I mean, they're to make public awareness of whether or not they pass, they get the job done of at least making the public pay attention.
3: That's right. And the commission would you be a formal acknowledgement of uh, of that whole desire, but with or without it, you know, still a lot has already been accomplished, as you can see. I mean, we're just barely into the petitioning, and already this is all over the place and a lot of discussion going on.
1: Oh, why don't we take a break, and when we come back on the other side, Stan Romanek will join in the discussion as well. Uh, He has had numerous experiences with these alien beings, and he's going to share with us uh, some of those experiences, as well as the circumstances surrounding the, the still image of the video that's getting everybody's attention. So we'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast.
4: Lost civilizations, extraterrestrials,
3: myths and monsters missing persons magic and witchcraft unexplained phenomena
1: for 58 years fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown fate is a factual magazine containing articles by experts in all walks of life and by others just like you who have had something dynamic significant and truthful to say keep up with the latest on all aspects of the paranormal angels and miracles psychic phenomena ghosts ufos and much much more To subscribe, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at Fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits.
0: Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back.
1: Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Matt Moniz, and special in-studio guest host, Shannon Sylvia. And we are talking with Jeff Peckman of The Extra Campaign. And joining us on the line now as well is Stan Romanek. You can check out his website, Uh Both Jeff and Stan's sites are linked up right on the front page of spookysouthcoast.com if you want to check those out as well. And uh, Stan, thank you for joining us tonight.
4: Thank you for having me.
1: I know that you've got a a busy night planned with a couple of other interviews. I'm glad you could uh, take some time with us here. No problem. Now, you've had a number of experiences uh, with these alien beings. When did that all start for you?
4: Um, There's some evidence that it probably started when I was a a child, but um, it really, the main part of it didn't start until um, December of 2000.
1: And that was when, what happened exactly?
4: Well, I had met, um, she's now my wife. I had met somebody over the internet, and we had been dating for uh, quite some time. And I, I lived in Denver, Colorado. She lived in Nebraska, and I wanted her to come visit me. And I'm thinking, you know, Denver's a beautiful city. You know, there's beautiful mountains. I was going to go up to the foothills and videotape the, you know, the skyline and um, the city and and see if I can maybe send her a video of the beautiful mountains in the city. Well, I actually never made it up to um, the location that I was headed to. Um, I noticed some people had pulled over to the side of the road and were looking south up in the sky. And when I looked off to my left, um, I saw what I thought was a really bizarre-shaped hot air balloon uh, approximately maybe 200 feet above the power lines and it turned out not to be a hot air balloon at all. In fact, it was a fairly large UFO, and <clears throat> it seemed to be pacing my van. I realized that I had my video camera with me. I pulled over and started videotaping this thing, and my life changed from there. It just kind of went crazy.
1: And then you've been repeatedly visited and, and even abducted?
4: Yes, I've been abducted. Um, it's kind of hard to to talk about that, but it's, it's the truth. Um, Probably some of the major sightings I've had. Um, there have been lots of people around, and that's what's interesting about this this um, this case in particular. I really haven't had to explain anything because most of the stuff that happens only happens when there's a lot of people around.
1: I mean, do you do you think that that's a reason on on their end that uh, that they're trying to make sure that there's numerous corroborative witnesses or?
4: Exactly. I I honestly, I think they're trying to make a statement. Um, Deep in my gut, I I, I honestly believe that contact's going to be made here pretty soon. Um, Just by everything that I'm, you know, noticing that's going on with TV, with um, the news, with just in 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 general. Every cartoon that I that you know my stepson watches seems to have aliens in them. Um, the new Indiana Jones movie has aliens in it. Everything seems to be oriented to getting us prepared. I think um, for for that first contact.
1: And it's it's definitely in the back of people's minds, and it's coming much to the forefront. Uh, and also, you ruined Indiana Jones for my two co-hosts. They haven't seen I'm it yet. I'm
4: sorry, I didn't mean <laughs> to. But I'm not going to tell you the the you know the end. But it does you know have some alien stuff in it and
1: and of course uh when i saw that i was like well you know george lucas is definitely somebody who i think has had some experiences as uh as is steven spielberg so it doesn't surprise me that they're you know leading this charge to kind of make it more in the public eye and more talked about
4: well it's interesting how things are coming together you know with the vatican just coming out um with their thing on the You know, they they admitted that there's extraterrestrials, you know, and England coming out. The only country left is the United States, and I think they're ready to crumble here pretty soon, too.
1: Yeah, we are kind of lagging behind in the disclosure, but uh, I think that the public's fighting for it a bit too much. Uh, Now, speaking of disclosure, I I think we want to get into some full disclosure with you about the the video uh, that the still shot has come from. Sure. Now, this was filmed in 2003.
4: Um, yes, it was in Nebraska. I was living in Nebraska at the time. So I'm
1: taking it that you didn't actually went out and, and get get her to move to
0: Denver then? N-
4: n- <laughs> well, I did get her to move to Denver. Um, eventually I got her to move to Colorado. But then, <clears throat> no, we were... I got married, moved to Nebraska to be with um, her and the kids. She couldn't just take her kids away from their dad. Yeah. So... <laughs> It was just by fluke that I ca- captured this thing. And um, first of all, this is just one very tiny, minuscule piece compared to the other stuff that has been captured over the years with surveillance. And but um, this one—it was an accident. I actually thought I had a peeping tom. Uh, I have twin uh, daughters who are 19 now. When this was taken, they were, uh, you know, young teenagers. And I'd get up, you know, um, this was going on for a week. I'd get up to get something from the kitchen or I'd get up to go to the bathroom from watching TV. And if I had the shades open, all of a sudden I'd see movement out of one of the windows. And (laughs) when it first started, like, okay, well, you know, it could be the kids playing around. I'd go outside to see who it was and nobody was there. But after a while, I started thinking, well, it must be a peeping Tom or, you know, I didn't really know what... What to think? Mm-hmm. Um, eventually called the police. <clears throat> the police really didn't do much. Talked to the neighbors. They didn't, you know, seem to be able to help much. I even set little traps by, you know, putting twigs and stuff out in the yard underneath the window. So if they stepped on it, they'd snap, and I'd immediately be able to hear them and run outside. I actually had a bat by the front door, so on my way out the front door, I could get the bat. But I'd never catch this this peeping tom well um i had already had quite a few experiences uh by then and i talked to one of the researchers about my dilemma and he suggested well you know you have a camcorder it has night shot on it why don't you next time you see see this other corner of your eye or see movement in your window why don't you just you know get your camera put it on night shot turn off the lights and pretend like you're going to bed well i did that Um, exact thing except I didn't actually go to bed I went to the bathroom and just kind of hung out because I wanted to see if I could you know catch this thing while I was in the bathroom there were two really bright flashes of light like like a nuclear explosion bright and after the second flash I waited about a minute or two and I went um, to see if I could see anything I kind of peeked around the corner and I saw this head pop down and it's like yes I got it I got it And um, I looked out the window, and when I looked out the window, it was probably about three foot, eight to four foot tall, and it was running to the backyard because this particular window was on the side of the house. And when I looked, it was running, and as it was running, it looked back at me, and let me tell you, its eyes were not normal. And you could see me react in the video. You could actually see me react. I kind of jump and scurry away like a little girl. It freaked the heck out of me.
1: So now we're actually the the panel here on the show is is essentially we're four paranormal investigators, and sure. one of the things that we're trained to do is to take apart photographs that sure. we see of supposed paranormal activity. Uh, my first question is: this still frame that we're seeing is this was this shot during one of those bright flashes of
4: light? No, that's. The still frame you're seeing is an enhanced version. So, because the original video is so, pretty dark, you have to lighten it up a little bit to see um, the actual video. And we did that for, you know, for the purposes of the media, so the media could um, get an idea of what this thing looked like. Now, this this video has been scrutinized, like you can't believe. Um, so has the, a lot of the evidence, and. Um, What's interesting about this particular video are the facial, facial movements and how the eyes blink and how um, the actual infrared reflects off the retinas of this, this thing. You can actually see it in one of the, the stills, or you can see it in the video when it moves a little bit. And it looks like it's squinting, and you can see its retina just like a deer in the headlights of your car. Really Matt, crazy.
1: Matt Moniz, our science advisor, knows all about deer in the headlights, but I think he has a question for you, Sandra. Sure. Yeah.
5: Did you have any other lights on in the room when you were recording?
4: Um, no. No, there was no light on other than the infrared. All right. Um, there was no light. There were flashes, and if you saw the video, the flashes were extremely bright and extremely fast. Um, in order for the public to see it when I do my talks, <clears throat> I show them a little bit of it. Um, you have to slow it down um, so I can put it in the presentation I have. Because other other than that, it's almost too fast. It's within a frame.
5: Well, the particular image you're showing here, or this particular still, shows the reflection of the room. Now, infrared does not reflect on, uh, so um, this, that's why I'm. Uh, there could
4: there could be there could have been a, a light source on. I'll have to go back and and look at it. But I don't, I don't know if there was. There was, I think there was a, a light in one of the other rooms, but not in that particular room.
5: Okay, that's what my question is, is because uh, I've been working with uh, infrared stuff for many, many years, and usually you don't get reflections of. The, I mean, this is obviously a reflection of the inside of the room on the glass. Now, yeah, if you, just well, have yeah night- you can
4: definitely see it. So there must have been a light on. <clears throat> I know that particular room didn't. I shut the light off. In that particular room, but a, a hall light or something,
5: right? Would have Hallway the or of, yeah. like you said, you're in the bathroom. Yeah. If you, had, oh
4: yeah, I'm sure. Well, you know, because of the experience, my family has been to, oh man, a lot, and my stepson and my stepdaughters have seen things also. So I'm sure there was a light on somewhere in the house because they're terrified. <laughs> Nobody even. sleeps in the dark. Yeah, yeah, they don't want to be in the dark.
5: Well, um, I happen to be one of Bud Hopkins' assistants. I don't. oh marvelous. Uh, yeah, I, I deal mainly with um, what known are what are known as Mickey and Baby Ann cases. That's where people are brought together by these uh, particular beings, and they wind up having. In some cases, they've gotten married. Uh, in other cases, you know, they become friends for life, or what have you. Sure. Uh, and it deals mainly also with family, So I'm very intrigued by your case.
4: There's, there's um, <clears throat> when it comes to, and if you go to the Stan Romnick website, you'll see um, under regression some, um, I wrote some equations for whatever reason, um, which is weird for me because I have, I'm severely dyslexic and I, my math level is at maybe a fifth grade level if I'm lucky. Um, Did you but, write
5: one of these equations on the window?
4: Yes. and I've <laughs> seen
5: your equations. Yes, they are very intriguing.
4: Um, you know, and we've got some of the top universities and top physicists, um, like Dr. uh Jack Casher, University of Nebraska, Doctor Claude Swanson, um, who's, you know, a physicist, worked for the military designing weapons. We've got some really top people looking at this stuff and um what's interesting and um there was one time where um my stepson uh I had a dream about my stepson, and we kind of blew it off. And then I found that equation written on the window. And um, my wife and I were on the back porch. She was drinking coffee, ready to go to work, and we were just sitting there. And it's like, oh, no, uh, we were concerned about my stepson and my dream. And we ran into his room, and there was an equation on the wall um, about three foot off the wall in his handwriting, he was eight years old at the time. And we I couldn't figure out if I was sleepwalking or what we did was we had him write on a piece of paper and well, sure enough it was his handwriting, so it's just one very small piece of the full picture. I mean so much has happened in the past seven years and, you know, really what's amazing is stuff doesn't happen unless there's lots of people around.
5: Well, that's actually a common trait with most abductees. Uh, uh, the major myth is uh, they're always alone. It's always at night in their bed. That I mean, I- I've been working with Bud for a number of years. I've sure. been dealing with abductees for close to 20 years. Ninety percent of the time they're with somebody. Uh, a good, you know, 60 to 70 percent, di- these ad- abductions happen in broad daylight. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and... Um, a good portion of them are, like I said, witnessed by several other individuals at the time. Uh, there's only only a rare, rare occasions are the person, you know, taken at night. Those are the most popularized mm-hmm. uh, because you know, that fits it, our fears. Exactly, that's the whole point. Is because that's when man is or people. Sorry, you know, in this age of political correctness. Are most vulnerable. Yes, that's when people consider themselves the most vulnerable. When you're sleeping, sure. So, but yeah, abductions happen twenty-four-seven. So, and a majority of them do happen during during the day. And with multiple witnesses
4: you know it's interesting because um and this always gets me you you watch tv and they'll always say oh it's sleep paralysis no my first abduction i was fully awake fully awake and moving and then
5: and then you wind up paralyzed yes that's another misnomer that you know you're able to move first throw the pillow at it and try and run and then you get immobilized sleep paralysis you're immobile first and then you move and sleep paralysis only lasts for a tenth of a second and up to a second at most.
4: Yeah, that that isn't what happened to me. I remember everything, and I was fully awake when it happened. I wasn't um, up until a time where I got a little aggressive. That's when I kind of became unconscious for whatever they did. But um, other than that, I was fully awake. Now, what's interesting when this when my first abduction happened, I I was really. A very aggressive skeptic I didn't believe in any of this stuff. in fact, I made fun of people and sort of throwing things at them I chased them away um, but it took literally three years to come to terms with this. Thank God you know I have an understanding wife because without her keeping me grounded, I probably would have gone off the deep end
1: now Jeff as someone who uh, admittedly has not seen a UFO or or had these type of experiences uh, was Stan's story just so convincing to you, or did you still look at it with a skeptical eye?
3: No, his story was very convincing, because, again, the video footage, the other photos, were really the, the visual confirmation um, of the belief that I had already gained and the confidence in Stan after listening to him for three hours
0: <laughs> talking
3: about a whole range of things. And so the total package of evidence... You know it's like you're you're making a case in court. you wouldn't just walk in and wave a picture and say, "See, this proves you know what I'm trying to say." You know you kind of build the whole case around it and by that time, if I was in a jury, I'd say, "Yes, Stan is telling the truth, and now they've come he's come up with this picture and the video that just kind of confirms visually what I already believed based on all the other evidence
1: and and Stan, I know that you're probably kind of limited in in what you can discuss, um, mainly due to the fact that there's a documentary in production. Uh, but when this uh, video is shown to the public through that documentary, I mean, how much more are we going to see? I mean, how long? Oh,
4: um, well, there's probably going to be a miniseries out of it. Um, we're we're trying to find a way to do this so everybody can see it, not just have to go to the movie theater to see it. Um, there's definitely going to be a book. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's the little guy in the window, and we named them. <laughs> everything we capture on film or on surveillance and a lot of it I want people to understand that the researchers and scientists involved in my case put surveillance around my house you'd be amazed at what the surveillance has captured I was gonna ask is there footage from the outside there's footage from the outside there's footage from the inside there's you can go on my on the website the researchers put up for me Stan com. go to um, pictures and video go to what's new What's, the, what's new is the most recent stuff um, With these shadow people They don't really know what to call it And they think it's some kind of technology But um, you, know, you can see for yourself um, And what's interesting about abductees And um, if you know Bud Hopkins You probably know this already There's this weird um, kind of paranormal thing That surrounds abductees They call it high strangeness mm-hmm. And it seems like anything and everything paranormal starts happening um you know my stepkids started seeing shadow people when they were in nebraska and when we moved to colorado it seemed to follow us here now it's we have stuff happen so much that you know if there's a skeptic i say hey just come over and hang out for a bit and they leave totally blown away and um we just had a fairly renowned uh paranormal investigative group called from paranexus i don't know if you've ever heard of them but they were here and they actually got to witness the UFOs above the house and a bunch of other stuff. And you can go on their website and read their report. They're just we're totally blown away by it.
5: Can I ask what other scientists that you have working on
4: this? Oh, geez, we have um, Dr. Claude Swanson, a physicist. We've yeah. got Dr. Jack Kasher. We've got, we've got a bunch of people. Um, you need another I can't one? really say um, their names just sure. because, you know, they're putting their, their, their careers on the line. And a lot of people ask me, well, why haven't you... I've been trying to talk about this for a long time, trying to get the information out. But we have to be really careful. And we don't want to necessarily go with the UFO groups because, you know, people don't really want to take them serious because they're already believers. What we're doing is going with mainstream science and making sure that mainstream science um, investigates this stuff, so we can get it out to the public and say, "Here, this is what we have."
5: Stan, I got a question. Do you, sure. have, do you have any physical material to be tested? Oh, jeez, yeah, tons
4: of it.
5: Well, I've done a lot of analytical work for you know people like Bud and uh, sure. Peter Robbins. i my my forte is analytical chemistry. Sure. I've been doing it twenty years. If you have any material you want tested, let me know.
4: Well, there's one, and I can't tell you what university has it, but there's one um, something they took out of my hip. And if you, I, I can talk about it at the presentations. I can't really show it to the public yet. To the, you know, the research is done with it until it's out in the documentary. But um, it has microscopic gears, microscopic chips in it. It it has. Um, all this weird stuff. One of my induction experiences...
5: Was an SEM done on scanning electron microscopy? Yes.
4: Oh, yeah, you bet.
5: What What was it made of?
4: Um, I don't remember what they... I've got the reports. I don't remember so much that I can't remember all of it.
5: Could I possibly get those emailed to me? Um,
4: maybe. Well, we can talk about it.
5: <laughs> okay.
1: Well, I know that you know once the documentary comes out, you'll be free to speak more uh, about a lot of your experiences and a lot of sure. the stuff that's going to be in the documentary. When can we expect it? Is there any timetable on when it'll be
0: released? We're working
4: on it hopefully within the year. We're just, you know, it's it's about the funding. You know, a lot of people say, well, you're in it for the money. You're faking all this for the money. There is no money in this. <laughs> I mean, we. Uh, anybody that would do this to try to get attention would have to be out of their mind. We've literally had to move seven times because of their harassment by whomever they are. Um, you know, and all the people involved in my case are doing it out of pocket. The documentary filmmakers doing it out of pocket. We keep hoping that somebody will come along and say, okay, here's somebody to make the film. But, you know, it's all out of pocket just to get the message out. You know, I'm I'm here for people like uh, Travis Walton and Betty and Barney Hill and all those other people who have just totally, <laughs> you know, got the 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 heck beat out of them just verbally for coming out with this stuff, you know. And you know, that's my goal is to try to enlighten the human race. That's what it's all about.
1: Well, we we definitely uh, appreciate you sharing. Uh Your experiences with us, and we hope that when the documentary comes out, you can come back on and join us and and share a little bit more with us. Oh, you bet. One of the things that I'm excited to see, uh, now you're opening your entire um, personal library of things that you filmed to the documentary, or is it...
4: Everything is going to, well, everything's going to be in the book. You know, books always have more than the, the documentary. Sure. We're trying to find a way, I mean, we can have literally you know, what's an average feature film, what, two and a half, three hours? We could probably have four or five of those.
1: Sure, yeah, so it makes sense to kind of put it out serialized and in volume so you can get yes, it Yes, and
4: up. everything will be to the public. And, um, see, I'm not here to try to convince people that this is real. I'm here to start the conversation so people can just learn on their own. I always tell them, you know, you don't believe me, that's fine. Um, come to one of my talks. In fact, the talk that Jeff Peckman was at there, and I don't know if Jeff got to see him or not, but I know he heard about him. Um, my talks are usually about four hours, just to cover some of the stuff. And during um, half, during you know, after two hours, I give a, a half hour break to people. There must have been maybe three, four hundred people at um, my talk in Denver. And um, right at halftime, there were probably at least 150 of them outside smoking or whatever. And there were two UFOs right above. <laughs> wow. I mean, it's documented. You can go and read the witness reports
3: yourself.
1: Well, we're, uh, we're just about out of time uh, for, this, for this visit, but hopefully you can both join us again. And, and Jeff, you'll keep us up to date with everything uh, with the ballot initiative as well.
3: Yeah, sure will.
1: All right. And, uh, Stan, i got a question for you. How do you feel about the East Coast?
4: Um, I lived in Pennsylvania for a little bit. Didn't care for the Pennsylvania, but everything else was really cool. All
1: right. Well, then maybe what we'll do is we'll have to have you come in our our neck of the woods for one of these talks. There you go. All right. Well, I'll definitely be in touch, and we'll see if we can set something up. All righty. All right. Thank you very much, Stan Romanek and Jeff Peckman. If you want to find out more about what's going on with the Extra Campaign, you can visit extracampaign.org. And to follow Stan Romanek's story, it's stanromanek.com. We're going to take a break for the news when we come back, The Week in Weird, and then we'll spend the rest of this evening with Shannon Sylvia of Ghost Hunters International, and she'll take your calls as well, right right here on Spooky South Coast.
5: The following takes place between 11 p.m. and 12 a.m. Hold your breath. This is usually the part when people start screaming. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and
0: pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. I can smell you those two years. I'm not afraid. You... Sí, bueno.
1: back our number two hero spooky south coast Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz and Shannon Sylvia of Ghost Hunters International is here with us what did you think of that first hour Shannon
2: I was actually quiet for once I (laughs) I don't know I'm kind of taking it all in I have a lot of research to do I want to read up on on all of that Um, you know I I believe in ghosts so I can't knock this guy you know definitely open-minded and uh, Apparently, there's a lot of information. I don't know. So,
1: Well, how much of uh, UFOs and aliens come across your plate in your investigative experience?
2: Um, absolutely none. There was a case in Germany where we did think that there were UFOs in the sky, and it ended up being uh, planets or bright stars. Uh, we swore up and down, all three of us that I witnessed it, that these things were moving. And uh, it just didn't pan out to be that way. But I've actually had quite a few experiences myself with uh, extraterrestrials growing up, and uh, last incident was uh, a decade ago, so completely unexplainable, and I definitely believe in aliens. Not, don't uh, I don't leave us hanging. I know. <laughs> to brush us off here. You know, it's it's uh, it's it's a sensitive subject for me, believe it or not, because uh, it was very emotional for me because uh, I was alone at the time, and I ended up getting some people involved because I needed help. It was that overwhelming for me. Um, this this instance was uh, I was living alone in Fitchburg, Massachusetts, up on a very tall hill. You could see the entire skyline of the city where I was. I was actually watching uh, Ghostbusters on TV, which is so <laughs> stupid. That's why I hate saying this because I remember exactly what I was watching. It was on TV. I was drinking chocolate milk, and I had my Dalmatian to my side. We were sitting on the couch and, of my living room, and uh, it was a Friday night.
5: The dog alerted first.
2: You know what? She ran to the picture window, a huge picture window that overlooked the town, and she was barking. And I thought somebody was pulling up in the driveway because I lived on a street with gangs, so there was always people.
5: Now, you say a Dalmatian. <laughs> was it deaf?
2: No. No, uh, she wasn't. Most people
5: don't realize that over 60% right. of Dalmatians are deaf.
2: Yeah, she was not. She definitely could hear. She could hear a pin drop, which was annoying. Um, She's barking, barking, barking. I finally went to the picture window and walked up to it. Um and saw lights in front of me, right in front of my face. And we were up probably 40, 50 feet. This is the second story of a townhouse. And these lights were going up to the window. And I I can't say they, I mean, I don't know what it was. It was a light. It would zoom really fast into the trees across the street. It would buzz around. I thought it was something mechanical someone was screwing around with. Um, it flew into the other trees. It went right back up to my picture window. It would go back up in the sky. It would do like Z's and circles. And this thing was going all It was going crazy. My dog was going nuts. Uh, so I called my dad, and uh, crying like a baby. I had never. I was terrified. And said, so "These things keep coming up to the window." And he's laughing. It was so funny to him. What are you talking about? What are you doing? And uh, I went upstairs into my bed, pulled the blankets over my head like I always did. Said the rosary. <laughs> It was terrified. I I never knew what it was. I was actually going to call the police, but I figured I would not because they'd laugh at me and, you know, you just can't go there. But um, I don't know what it was that night. I never knew. I was too scared to figure it out.
5: You know how common your story is. You know how many times I've heard that same almost exact type of story?
2: Really? With the lights?
5: Oh, yeah. The dog's reaction? Like I said, I told you the dog reacted first before you did. Yeah, she did. Yeah. Uh, the, The type of you're talking about, I, I know four other people, right off the top of my head that have described almost, word for word, the same type of story
2: hmm, and it, the thing that kind of sounded strange to me is these lights aren't that big they're small, no. it's like a flashlight size you know, something roughly about the size of a softball, yeah, they weren't that big yeah. what the hell is it? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what was it? I mean, just tell me now
5: <laughs> some people call them probes
2: oh so it's probably just something getting information i could t- this yeah. thing kept coming right back dead center in the window right in front right of me and they <laughs> just stop and then it would it kept whizzing around yeah i have goosebumps <laughs> 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 socks i know i just didn't want that you know just stay away oh, well, um we it's
1: appreciate l- you sharing that with us though. Not yeah
2: much. not a lot of people know that yeah, i don't want to be seen as any more crazy than i already am so
5: well no that's a, that's the other thing anybody that's into the paranormal mm-hmm. gets into everything paranormal yeah. Anybody, um, you know, I, I've i had ghost experiences. I've had UFOs experiences. I'm working on cryptozoology. I love cryptozoology as a scientist because I can sink my teeth into physical materials. Yeah. But uh, anybody that's into the paranormal has a side interest in all the other little things, in case you I haven't know. noticed. I
1: think it kind of puts you, once you start looking into it, it kind of puts you up on a higher frequency. And then these other things. They're paying
2: attention. Yeah, yeah you're paying they're paying attention. They're drawn to you as that. much as you're drawn to them. I agree. I didn't exactly invite that opportunity, but um, whatever it was, I don't know. It never came back, so I don't have any other issues with that, with aliens.
5: Have you ever invited a ghost?
2: Uh, no, not willingly. But, but that's Subconsciously, that, I might have.
5: <laughs> but that's the same thing. You you encounter the ghost when you encounter it. It's not like you went out, well, now you go out looking for them. Exactly. <laughs> and let's get into that. Uh, what were some of the most exciting places you've been to that you can talk about?
2: Oh, you mean there's secret cases we did we didn't you didn't see on the TV? <laughs> uh-huh. well, well, I know you. <laughs> we know you, you would film. <laughs> you you knew where I was. Um, gosh, I. What was the question? <laughs> 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 the the
5: places that you've been that you can talk about. Yeah. Okay. That you, that you filmed. What what was oh, your yeah. favorite? Okay,
2: the ones that have aired. Um, my favorite. Okay. Big popular question, what are my favorite places as far as paranormal activity or just the massively awesomest place I've ever been to? Both. Both. Um, Because we went to some really cool places. Like, all of them are very well thought of, beautifully scouted. Um, I always say Italy because Italy had always been a dream of mine to go there, (coughs) um, under different circumstances, of course, but... Uh, Italy is beautiful, and to show up to a monastery that was built around 1100, amazing with chapels and cathedrals, and uh, and then be, to be told in the van on the way there, this is a possible demonic, which was my first. So this was a milestone for me, and uh, it was the the activity that night as people could see was a little overwhelming at times, and the paranormal activity happening was just outstanding. The EVPs, the voices, the touching, the the sights. Uh, that was the total package right there for our ultimate investigation. But there's been others, too. I mean, Scotland, Mary King's Close was amazing. It was an underground city. Never thought I'd be down there. You know, we had black snots for about a week after that with all the <laughs> the stuff that was down there. But, um, you know, the Slovakia, Romania, with the snow and the beautiful view of the Transylvanian Mountains, um, and things happening in some of these places, just amazing. I mean, it's all breathtaking.
5: Transylvania did you go to visit Vlad Tepes?
2: Um, We did do the castle that he had visited at one point actually lived there with his wife uh, but it wasn't Vlad's castle we were told that would be too of too much of a difficult case to do with the 1500 stairs you had to climb but then we showed up to the castle we did do in a blizzard yeah. and the cars couldn't get up the mountains so we were <laughs> kind of you
1: had to walk anyway. Yeah. yeah.
2: So, we would have uh we would have done that other one gladly, I think. <laughs> and after 1500 stairs you
1: would have enough left to, to do the rocky at the top anyway. <laughs> <so>. <laughs>
2: Uh, Adrian,
1: Do do you find that these cases over in Europe Do you find that they're a lot more active Than what you've found here in the United States
2: Yeah um, I've done cases here in New England That were just simple homeowner cases That can't compare to the massive castles That had thousands of people dying in So uh, the history in Europe I mean Europe's We we picture that pub in Boston As old, built in the late 1700s And people, wow that's so old Boston's so old I think of Europe that's thousands of years old. I mean, that's old. And you don't really appreciate it until you're over there and you see the old, old architecture. They can't You know, Boston can't hold a candle to them. And the history, the building materials themselves, the lime and quartz and um, limestone, the energy that it just holds, the residuals, um, the castles that we did had thousands of people dying, beheaded, impaled, however they died. Just... The energy. I mean, these weren't normal cases, so the cases we we're doing can't be compared to cases that, are, like Ghost Hunters, are doing here, just because of the sheer magnitude of how these people died out there. Um, Frankenstein's Castle. A lot of people didn't die there necessarily. It was just more of a, a fable that had a haunting. But you know, these other locations that we had done were just outstanding as far as the history and the haunting. Um, Rumors.
5: Yeah, most people don't realize that Frankenstein was an actual individual.
2: I didn't know. Yeah, I, I didn't know the place existed. I'm like, what do you mean, Frankenstein's Castle? I thought that was made up. Well,
5: <laughs> Mary Shelley yeah. who wrote the original uh, in, I think it was 1830s, I believe. And, um, but he was the main impetus for the uh, the story. Yeah. Uh, now, what's interesting is she wrote it while. They, they were having what was known as the Little Ice Age, the, the, the year without summer. And that had to do with, um, actually, I believe Krakatoa had exploded at that particular point. Uh, Krakatoa is a large volcano that erupted in the Indi- Indonesia area and was responsible for creating basically a global winter at that time. And Mary Shelley was with her husband and several other poets. And she was 19 years old, and she wrote, basically Frankenstein as a, um, a way to pass the time at Lake Geneva. And because when they were there, it was middle of July, August, and, you know, there's still snow on the ground type of thing. And they they, they were bored and they well, had a contest. And 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 the
1: Shelleys weren't really the most upbeat people to begin with anyway. <laughs> a lot of that crowd wasn't...
2: <laughs> a, little, a little morbid. Yeah. <laughs> well, what
1: do you expect? Your husband's name's Percy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But just to see... Um, It's like going when you go to Cancun for Beach Week and you take that little extra tour 45 minutes down the road and you see that Mayan pyramid that you studied in in geography books your whole life. It's like, wow, oh, my God, we're here. Holy crap.
1: I mean, part of the difference, too, is here in the United States, our history is so young.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, we complain if we go to a place that was built in the 1700s and we can't trace back everybody that's lived there. But more or less, we can follow a lot of these hauntings back and try and figure out, you know, what might be the cause, what might have been right. the people that lived there. But when you go over there, you have no idea because right. so much of that history has been lost. You know, with the, the plague, a lot of the just everybody was lost. Right. But you can't really keep track of... What spirits might be, you know, if you think that they are the spirits of dead people, you don't know which ones might be there and which ones aren't. Thousands
2: or hundreds. That's why I got a lot of um, flack for asking EVPs. Um, The biggest question was, why do you always say, what is your name? And and we had the episode where I I was supposed to come up with creative questions. Yeah. You ask, what's your name? Because if a, if, if a presence is going to come forward and identify themselves, you want to know who you're dealing with. That saves you a
1: lot of research.
2: Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I mean, and it'd be really nice to hear Richard. <laughs> you're looking right at a researcher
1: whose preferred method right. of EVP uh, is to actually begin with questions like that. Right.
5: What is your name? I, I, one of the things I like to do is, I've been doing this for actually 20-something years, asking questions that people want to answer. You get, a right. lot of, uh, you get a lot of people that go out and do the EVPs. How did you die? What was it like to have the bullet go through your You know,
2: and <laughs> they break out into a long explanation.
5: <laughs> you know, people are people, whether you're dead or alive. You're right. not going to want to talk about things that are tragic or harmful. That's why I always ask, "What is your favorite food? What is your favorite color? What was yeah. your favorite song?" You know, people. You know, tell me about your kids, especially women. Women love to talk about their kids or. You you know what was your job like? Mm-hmm. Men always are proud of the work that they do.
0: Yeah.
5: You know, and you ask questions, or at least I I prefer to ask questions that I know people would want to answer.
2: Right. That was like uh, the black horse in the episode in England where we actually set the um, the tri-field meter so that it would make a noise if the reading is too high. Yeah. And we knew that this man who supposedly haunted the place had dogs. And he, he was the tariff guy that sat there with his dogs all day. Every time we asked a question about the dogs, you heard the meter going, and then it would come back down. It was always a dog question. So I started asking a lot of questions about the dogs. I've got two dogs myself, and I understand how they might hit a nerve. And uh, I knew thats that was something that this spirit liked to talk about because he didn't respond to many of our other questions so you you actually get to know them.
1: Well, I'm neat. sure I'm sure you're aware of it, but that's actually become an approach that a lot of investigators are using now. Yep. They're using the, the EMF the the tri field just as you did in that episode. Oh, what a coincidence! <laughs> <laughs> hey, we all copy what we see on TV right? <laughs> or what we hear on the radio. This show is a direct rip off of a hundred other different <laughs> of the radio shows. Good evening, we're on Spooky South Coast with Shannon Sylvia. How are you doing?
6: Good evening, Shannon Sylvia. Hi. Hi. I'd like to know how you keep warm in Transylvania.
2: Lots and lots of layered clothing. That's good. And hats.
6: Hats. You wear a lot of hats?
2: Yep. And those pocket warmers from the dollar store all over.
6: Actually, I think I asked you this before. This is Keith, by the way. Hi, Keith. (laughs) Hi. How are you doing? How are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Good.
2: Nice to hear from you.
6: Nice to talk to you. Very much, of course, uh, loved having you on our show, Ghosts Are Near.
2: That was awesome. Thank you. You were gonna... an
6: excellent, excellent guest.
2: Thank you. And you're excellent hosts, just like oh, the ones I'm you. sitting with thank here. Good people. My oh. peeps. <laughs>
6: <laughs> yeah, that show went very, very well, and it was very, very well-received, very thank popular. You.
2: Thank you. <laughs> but
6: all your shows
1: are well-received, Keith. They're yeah. really pretty
6: popular. Oh, thanks. Well, <laughs> of course, you know, the one with you
5: was too very, very popular. Uh, breaking
1: so. iPods and computer monitors everywhere.
6: <laughs>
1: you put out a quality product,
5: Keith. I'm proud of the work you do.
6: Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much, Matt. I appreciate it. Not a problem.
1: It. And if people don't already know, it's free. Just go to nearparanormal.com and click on the archives, and you can check it out. That's
6: great. <laughs> That's very good. So well, you guys are ended- doing
2: good? What's that? You guys are doing good?
6: Oh, yes. We're doing quite well. All right. You know, trying to... Um, Trying to get my son to bed at the moment, but uh, he's not cooperating. So decided <laughs> he's going to sleep on the sofa. So uh, that's that's part of being a dad.
2: Yep. Yeah, and please send my love to Sandra.
6: Oh, I will certainly do that. Carla, yep. hug for me. I will. Not too tight. I will certainly do that. <laughs> yep, and then please do say hi to Jeff. And I will. And I, I'll let you guys get back to your uh, air hockey there. <laughs> <laughs> I understand you're having a big tournament in the studio. Hey, you leave. should see We it. were
1: hoping to. I, I didn't grab the table. I went to my parents' house, and I had to grab something else, and I forgot to get the air hockey table. He lied uh, to me.
6: Oh, wow. Well. That's all right. That's uh, just Matt, Matt Moniz would usually win anyway, wouldn't he? No, not with <laughs> me.
2: <laughs> I had my nails done this week just for the tournament.
5: Oh, great. <laughs> I'll play her in floor hockey. I <laughs> oh, <okay>. gotta <laughs> like I don't <laughs> skate,
1: so you're on your
2: own there. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll make a, we'll take a rain check on that, but we will do it. We've been tra- talking about it for a year now. <laughs> yeah, we'll do it up big.
6: <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. Well, great talking to you, and uh, stay safe and God bless. And um, Shannon, good luck with all your uh, present and future endeavors. Okay, take care. Now have a good night, Keith. You too. Bye bye.
1: Phones are lit up, so let's go right to the next call. I'm nervous. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast with Shannon Sylvia. How are you doing?
7: Hi. Do
1: you have a question for Shannon?
7: Yes. Um, a couple of weeks ago, my granddaughter and I um, were sitting down watching TV, and she was pointing in the corner, and she called me, Ma, and she said, Who's that? And I said, Who's what? And every once in a while, she looked at me and turned over, and I, you know, just looked at her, and then she said, hi, boy, and I said, okay, now she's freaking me out. Hmm. Um, Now, every once in a while, she, like, even during the day, she'll say that. She'll say, Ma, who's that boy? Hmm. And I don't know what to think because it's, like, spooking me out now. How old is she? She'll be two on the 24th of this month. she's little.
2: Yes. Very common. Um, I get this a lot. There are a lot of children who can see things that we do not, and I've... In my research, our brains have already formed and are operating on a different wavelength than children's are. They do see things and hear things that adults might not. Right. Um, don't be scared.
7: No, I'm not afraid because like, I just recently moved like a year ago from one apartment to another. I live in uh, a duplex. Mm-hmm. And um, in the upper, other apartment I lived in, like, just weird things would happen, but, like, nothing to scare me. Mm-hmm. Like, once in a while I would have, I had a fight history or like, kind of, like, move. Or Like, the complex I, I live in, a lot of people would say that you would see things. Hmm. And um, I don't know how true it is, but they say that supposedly this used to be a burial ground oh. that this is on. So I don't know how true it is, but things would happen next door. And also today my son was saying that um last week when i had a birthday not last week the week before i had um a, a birthday cake for my mom and um he said he took a picture and he said in front of the person he took the picture of he said it looked like like smoke like and it looked like an orb or something and no one smokes in my house so i found that weird too huh well, i mean it's like nothing scary it's just you know but it's just weird that No, my granddad
2: always says, "Hi, boy. Hi, boy." Yeah, I don't don't ever doubt her because she just very well may be seeing something. But there's a lot of, you know, you never know. I mean, just to be real with you, it we're not really sure what's going on. I I can't be sure. I can't tell you exactly what it is. I'm not a psychic by any means. I don't get feelings, and I can't tell you what might be going on. But she she very well may be seeing someone. Um, I think it 'll pass you know a lot of children that see things um very often they do grow out of it by the time they 're thirteen fourteen, fifteen years old mm-hmm. sometimes they don 't maybe just maybe it 's a blessing this right. might be a gift that she has right um but i would keep- I would pay attention to it and it wouldn 't be a bad idea to keep a log or a diary mm-hmm. of um the conditions, the day of time, the time of day that this happens, the date. Right. Um. I know yeah. she's only two. You can't drill her. You're, right. <laughs> she's only two. She's yeah. Gonna...
7: But I've I've always heard that children and animals can see. Yeah. Things like you know what I'm saying, like spirits or whatever.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, sure. What what Shannon was saying about being on a different wavelength, but I mean, also with kids, we tend to drill into them right. because it's easier to keep them from being afraid to tell them it's not real, it doesn't yeah. exist. You're right. imagining well, it.
7: I mean, well, she kind of was like at one point while we were sitting down in the house was dark she kind of got a little like scared at one point like at first she was like hi hi and she's Hmm. like who's that ma and i'm like what and like i said she was freaking me out and then all of a sudden like she kind of like pulled back Hmm. you know and then after that was like she would just say there's no about the boy
1: one thing I would suggest trying is is when that does happen mm-hmm. and when she is pointing and saying that he is there, right? try asking him to do something that would validate his presence to you.
7: I never thought of that. Uh, yeah, I've never thought of that because I do watch Taps and all that, and I know how they try to do all that stuff. Yeah, try um, to communicate with it. Right, yeah. It would be
2: a bad idea to keep a camera handy, too. If yeah. she sees something in the corner, snap some photos right, and uh, try yeah. to document it. Maybe you will just uh, answer some questions you have. Digital right. recorder, too. Yeah.
5: Ask When you're asking the questions, turn on the recorder and start taking the pictures. Yeah,
2: that's a good idea. Yeah, do your own little investigation. Right. But uh, if you ever feel threatened, do not hesitate to ask for help. Oh, God, no,
7: I don't, because I lived in my apartment next door for 20-something years, and it was, like I said, never nothing bad. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I don't feel threatened at all, you know, at all, so, I mean, I don't think it's anything bad, but I don't think, I think that's a good idea, like you're saying, to take pictures and... Yeah. I'm going to do that. Uh, be a bad idea. Yeah, well, good yeah. luck to you. Good luck. Okay, thank, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Nice talking to you. Bye oh, Thank you.
0: Good
1: evening. We're at Spooky South Coast with Shannon Sylvia. How are you doing?
7: All right. How are you doing, Shannon? Hi. I just wanted to say um, how great that was the night of the Lizzie Borden investigation <laughs> that you hung around and actually participated and that you really, you know, added to the whole evening. And I was wondering, as you reflect back, what your take was, and what you thought about everything.
2: Oh, thank you for the compliment.
7: Um, No problem. This is Grace, by the way. Hi.
2: (laughs) I do remember you, especially the voice. Oh, wow. I remember you very well.
7: (laughs) (laughs) You're a doll. I was like, wow, she's on me. Finally, maybe I can ask, you know, she feels it would be worthy of going back or maybe doing a show sometime there or yeah, if actually, you really didn't get anything. We
2: have plans to go back. I believe it's March of two thousand nine. Um it was such an honor to be there. I'd never been there before. That was my first time and I'm I'm from Massachusetts. There was no excuse why I couldn't go sooner. Um, well, you were
7: too busy with your own hauntings. <laughs>
2: Come <laughs> yeah,
7: on now. What's the girl <laughs> to do?
2: You're crazy. You've been busy. I've been a little busy. Um, but, you know? you know, we stayed as long as we could. I think it was till around 2 in the morning. And, um, I, you know, we did our own EVPs and investigation, and I... It was just so great to be there. I mean, I'm a people I person. I It's
7: overwhelming because it's so cool to be there, though. Yeah.
2: Just, I've been reading about that case since I was a kid, and uh, I know a lot of people that have a lot of close ties to the neighborhood itself. So um, just a great place. I, I will go back, and I want to take it a step further and uh, do a lot more EVP work uh, and play with some of the newer gadgets that are out in the market now. And, uh, you I, did the phone to the dead. That was I pretty did. cool. We got some <laughs> kind of... <laughs> I meant to bring it in. <laughs> Yeah, we played with that a little. bit. That was my first uh experience with the phone for the dead, and I would like to spend some more time with it before I come up with a um, an opinion on that. Did you
7: get that, EVPs? I'm sorry. I did didn't.
2: You? I didn't um okay. we did try and we we tried very hard but there were so many people there and yeah, it was, as big you know, time. yeah. It was kind and, of hard, uh, but it was I long. think a did smaller you? group will uh will get some better work out of, but you know, it's it's all good it was an amazing night and it was really a pleasure to meet you and uh it was really fun no to, to meet with these people i wasn't treated like a celebrity and uh I was just i was just one of you guys so it was a good time for me especially you, know, you
7: made it what it was because you're naturally just down to earth so that helped But um, once we all get off our lazy butts and get our evidence up there, we're (laughs) going to see some really cool stuff. Hey, hey! Pleasure talking to you. Thank Thank you for calling. Take care and stay in touch. That was so nice of you to hang out with us, too. Have a good luck with everything, Shannon. Thanks for hanging out
2: with me. Anytime.
1: Take care. Say goodnight,
7: Gracie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) She's taking a shot at me there because I haven't put the seance video up yet from our Spooky South Coast Investigators night, but it's a huge video file.
7: I'm in over my head.
1: I'll burn it onto a DVD, and I'll get somebody that knows what they're doing to take care of it. How's mm. that work? Because now we know somebody with a DVD burner that we can use to do it.
2: <laughs> so.
1: But, uh, yeah, I mean, Lizzie Borden is definitely one of those places where you have to be in a small group. Uh, yeah. Two people works pretty good, three <laughs> or four, as, as we've done. Yeah. You know, when you have the place to yourself, and it's just instead of capturing something once in a while, the place just starts going off.
5: Yeah. Did you get to see what we had going on at, uh, on the, what is it, Monster Quest? Yeah, Monster Quest.
2: Uh. You guys got to share this information with me. <laughs>
1: ah, we will. We've got videos, we've got EVP, we get everything.
2: All right. Well, all right. Uh, just, you know, you know how to shoot it over to me. I look at absolutely everything everyone sends me. I'm, I'm intrigued to find out. I've been asking you guys about evidence and people. It was slowly tricking, trickling in. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd, I'd love to hear it, see it. Sure, we'll get it all to you. Oh, yeah.
1: We um we we're even getting copies of the uh, the TV show soon, but you can't post it on the internet, Matt Moniz. So if it shows up, we just <laughs> want us to go on the record that it wasn't us that put it up on the internet. It's already there. Oh. Go to YouTube, search Monster Quest Ghost, you'll find it. But I didn't do it. Uh-oh.
5: That doesn't surprise me. that it's already up.
1: Of course, it's it's downloadable on iTunes and everything, so people can pay a buck ninety nine a pop to listen to us talk. Please, they can listen to that for free every Saturday. <laughs> All right, well, why don't we take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk m- some more with Shannon Sylvia of Ghost Hunters International, and we'll wrap up the show a little bit later with The Week in Weird, because i got a weird story that's going to make you want to make sure your shoelaces are tied tight. <laughs> and uh, we'll get to that and more in just a few minutes here on Spooky South Coast.
4: iceberg had his very first physical encounter with a haunting spirit in the chimney
1: room. My legs, which were draped over the side of the bed here, just started picking up on their own, and I could feel the hands developing around my ankles, and that's when I said, okay, wait a minute, that's not, you know, the wind, that's not anything else, that's definitely, you
4: know, something picking it up in Poland. In August 2007, Mac Moniz and his ghost hunting group were videotaping in the same room when one of their cameras moved by itself camera turned at roughly a 45 degree angle.
5: Now, when this happened, I thought me to so the camera. She set the camera back to its original position. She physically watched and heard the camera. Pick Here we are breaking copyright laws. Directly back at <laughs> it. Nobody else near. It.
1: Oh, there you go. And it again. There you go, <laughs> Shannon. There's the <laughs> there's the footage. We've got the whole thing on my laptop. We can try it out for it too. But yep, that's from Monster Quest, and uh, you can direct any uh, lawsuit violations to oh. Matt Costa, Care oh. of Spooky South Coast, WBSM, 22 Sconnecott Neck Road, Fairhaven Mass.
0: <laughs> they said we
8: couldn't use the video.
1: That's true. They said not, not, not to post yet. the video on the web. They said nothing oh. about the audio. That's nothing. Wait till uh, Conversations with a Serial Killer uh, is. Online later on in the fall, we'll we'll have fun with that audio. I, I can picture like we'd be perfect for that fun with real audio thing they do on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, yeah, because they could so make fun of us as uh, as numerous people have done in the past. So what should stop them? Including right,
5: well, ourselves. Yeah,
8: that's true. Well, <laughs> if if we're
1: on the forefront of that, then everybody else just has to I'm, I'm just upset that us. your
8: uh, your key phrase was not thrown in the uh, Monster Quest. All right, you ready? So. I'll give it
1: to you since it didn't make bro- its broadcast debut on Monster Quest. We'll do it right here. Basically you just picture me lying on the bed in the Jose and Nolten room, then popping up looking directly into the camera and saying And that's when I knew there were spirits in this
8: house.
2: <laughs> can I have your autograph? Well if I can have yours. Okay. Alright.
0: Yeah,
1: no, we we like to have fun with the limited bit of exposure that we get. But uh <laughs> thank you, Monster Quest, for not mentioning spooky south coast anywhere not mentioning Wailing City <laughs> Ghost to help capture that footage.
2: Hey, that's like Paranormal State when they failed to mention I was a paranormal investigator. Yeah, well, that's the
1: question that I wanted to ask thank you there. you. have you, gotten a lot of flack for that. Yeah, I, I don't really totally remember your name being in the producer credits or writer <laughs> credits, so I, I don't realize how it's uh, your fault.
2: No, thank you. I do love you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it seems to just be a, a whole lot of controversy, and yeah. uh, that was kind of filmed a while ago.
2: Yeah, it was filmed a year before I was with GHI. And uh, I can't even begin to tell you how many times while they were filming I mentioned what group I was with and how long I've been doing it, not to mention all the EVPs that I showed them from my group and the EVPs caught in my home. Uh, You know, for one reason or another, just didn't make it to TV as well as all the other stuff. That's, that's where it goes,
1: I guess. I'm well, you know, not bitter. Any, any kind of,
2: <laughs> any kind of uh, different, you know, they don't want to confuse
0: people. Is they, what it well, is. they
2: genuinely wanted me to look like a client, but they didn't know I was going to be on GHI. I didn't know I was going to be on GHI, sure. so you can't blame them. They just wanted, you know.
1: You know what I say? I say it's their fault for taking a year to get the
2: show to air. Yeah, you know? well, I've had words with them. Move quicker. Nothing I can do about it. Damage well, has been you, done.
1: you, you got to be careful. you got to keep your options open. You never know what's going to happen. Oh, they're no? open. <laughs> one show gets canceled. You might move to the other show. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen.
8: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the
1: way it goes. <laughs> the rough and tumble world of television. So glad we're in radio. Yeah. It's so much easier. We can wear our pajamas to work. Nobody knows.
2: Yeah. I've got i am just. Do do? Well, let's get you sleeping in your clothes. That's
0: true.
2: I've got one of those faces for radio. I should be on radio, too. Ah, uh, nah. You do fine on television. <laughs> and you know, what's
1: interesting, too, about, about Ghost Hunters International, and that we've talked with Donna and Brian about this in the past, is, you know, people don't understand that you guys were kind of coming together as the show was being filmed. It wasn't like you guys yeah, yeah. were out investigating for five years together mm-hmm. beforehand. I mean, sure, Andy and Brian and Donna, they all had experiences working together before, but right. as a unit, you were all learning how to work with each other, yeah. you know, right from the start.
2: Met Rob and Barry at the airport. And uh, I met Andy for the first time in person at the airport. I mean, and then a day later, we were investigating. So it's kind of like, all right, hurry up and get to know everybody real quick, four hours, you know. <laughs> camera on, lights on. I mean, and that's,
1: <laughs> but that's also lens to some of the drama of television, too, yeah. to kind of throw people together and see what happens. It's it's like the real world meets, you know, paranormal investigating.
2: Yeah, it, we were told that drama's great and it's a docu-soap and blah, blah, blah. But I'm more, let's just go hunt. Screw the drama, but it's not what I want So,
1: I mean, I'm, I'm getting really Aggravated watching a lot of these paranormal Shows, and I hate to say it, but You know, I've got to include Ghost Hunters And even Ghost Hunters International a little bit into it As well, where, you know And it's the way it's edited, it has nothing to do with The people that are involved, mm-hmm. but where they Create this false drama, Monster Quest Did it too, you know, they create this false drama By alluding to this great evidence That's coming up, and they tease it, and then They come back from commercial, mm-hmm. and you know It's nothing Mm-hmm. Or you know, I I, I don't want to really make Jay angry because he's, you know, he's been good to us, and I'm afraid of him. But you know, I'm tired of what was that? If I can't hear it on TV, then it's not enough him. for me. You know what I mean? And and that seems to be the case, and it, it seems to always be a what was that situation? I know when you're investigating, that happens.
5: But that's not Jay's fault. That's the editor's fault.
1: Well, no, I mean not necessarily. I'm sure
5: Shannon, you know. Uh, just, you've been on investigations with me. A lot of times you, you catch yourself, you know, what was it? I heard this, yeah. you know. We don't, we have, we're lucky, you know, we have the luxury of not having cameras in our face. We're the ones behind yeah. the cameras Big recording. Difference. Yeah. So,
2: you can pick and, your nose. Yeah, you I mean, f- do
1: they're just investigating. They're going through the normal course of what they would do in an investigation. Right. So they don't think twice about it. You know, if they hear, if they hear a sound, they immediately point it out to the right. other investigator that's in the room. That's what it's supposed to do. Yeah. You know, but when they can take that and edit that into, you know, a tease where there's no pay. I it just, it's it's <laughs> aggravating when you look at it from the evidence point of view. It's, aggra-
2: when, it's aggravating for me, too. <laughs> I mean, I watch the episode, I'm like, no, come on. But at the
1: same time, you know, when you're a person that's at home and just watching it for the entertainment factor of it, yeah. you know, you eat that stuff up. So, yeah. I guess it's, that's...
2: It's entertainment.
1: There's not 3.5 <laughs> million paranormal investigators watching Ghost Hunters every week. No. You know, it's 3.5 million common people who that's who the show
2: is being edited and designed for. So. Yeah, we're still under a microscope, though, even by the common people. You just yeah. can't get away with anyone.
1: Well, that's because you're trying to make them... You know, believe in something that they might not be inclined to believe or yep. you're trying to help them back up to their family. Hey, see, look, I'm not crazy. These people do it and they do it on TV so it must yeah. be real.
2: Well, my husband just told me tonight, he was just approached by a guy that knew I was on the show and knew he was my husband and the guy said, you know, tell me that they're acting. They, they're acting. We're convinced they're acting. <laughs> I'm not an actress. I mean, I did school plays in elementary school because teachers force you to. But I'm not an actress. Never was. You know, no model actress here. And uh, Jeff told him She's like, not an actress. This is 100% like a, real. And when like she's scared, you know, when she's scared, this is 100% Shannon being scared. The guy's like, "No way!" Like, actually shocked that we weren't acting. Breaks my heart. And they they just whip us out of our 40-hour-week jobs and throw us overseas and see how we react. That's it. And what you, you know see, what, is what sucks what about that? <laughs>
1: You're not. You can't be nominated for an Emmy Award. I know. Nope. You're not part of the Screen Actors Guild. You can't go no. on strike. No, we certainly don't get um, paid like
2: they do here. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you don't really get the benefits of that. You know, it's a, like I tell people who ask me questions about, you know, what what are these people like when they're not on camera? It's like being on the news, you yeah. know? It's essentially somebody sticks a camera in your face. You have no idea how it's going to be portrayed. Yeah. You know, somebody's asking you questions off camera maybe and saying, hey, you know, tell us about this, you know, when you have to do the stand-ups or whatever, and they, they're directing you then. But, yeah. Basically they're just turning a camera on you and telling you, "All right, now act natural."
2: But it's even worse in my situation and a couple of the others too is they Hollywood, you know, the producers and the directors want you to look a certain way no matter how you really are. I'm completely different opposite of the show in person than I was on the show. Mm-hmm. People thought I was a solemn, never spoke, always scared. I have a personality. I mean, it just didn't come out on the show as much as I wish it would, but that's not what they wanted. The closest thing
1: they came to showing a personality for you is when they had you fighting with Donna. Oh, correct. Which is, that's great, you know?
2: Yeah, and that was just all blown out of proportion, um, which is just a shame because people think, you know, people send me messages and want to talk about it and think that we hate each other. Donna and I don't hate each other, we're friends, and they think, wow, you know, you must really hate her for what she said, and I'm laughing because I said, you don't know what happened that night. They didn't show you us laughing after because we just made a royal mistake fighting on camera. You know, they don't show you the aftermath. They want you to believe that we genuinely had a cat fight.
1: And, but they also, it's important to say, too, the two of you weren't sitting there, and this argument started to brew, and you no. both clicked in your head, hey, let's
5: play this oh, up the Oh, that was just completely either. spontaneous. But the point is, even if you had a cat fight, so what? Yeah. You two are human beings. Right. Okay?
2: A little bit of stress out there, too. You throw, well, like, a, a, a lizard on top of it. That's and, what I'm saying.
5: <laughs> you throw two people in a stressful situation <laughs> yeah. that, you, that you've not had much time to prepare for and work in, you're going to have yeah. issues. And I've had arguments with these guys on on occasion in investigations. I just agree
1: with them, so they'll leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
2: just roll with the punches.
5: But, but the point is... Everybody gets stressed. You put yourself in a stressful situation. This is stuff that's going to happen. Does it mean you're at each other's throats? No. Right. You work past it and move on.
2: I set her off big time by banging on the window. Um, The true story was Brian was being lifted down the well at 9 o'clock at night. We were. I looked at my watch. It was like 9.15. I'm like, oh, my God, we're missing Brian. We wanted to see Brian go down the well just in case something happened to him. It was a deep well. It was like 300 feet. Yeah. So I just banged on the window, just being my stupid self, trying to startle her, just to kind of break the ice, let's cut the crap and just go down and see Ryan. And um, she kind of just got irritated. I Now that I think about it, you know, she didn't understand I was trying to end the session and get the heck out of there. And uh, when cameras were off, of course, I said, Donna, we're late. we got to go see Brian. She's like, oh, my God, you're right. We're supposed to be out of here by now. You know, that's all it was. Yeah. But she, you know, it just. The drama.
1: You know, and I don't even think it's necessarily drama when you're home watching it on TV. No. It, it becomes drama when somebody goes on a message board, oh, or yeah. somebody goes on to MySpace, and then they start trying to blow it up into more than it is. And, you know, yeah. the, the problem is, is everybody associated with Ghost Hunters Ghost Hunters, you guys are so accessible. You're so right out there for the public, and, you, you know, you answer emails, you answer messages. So you're, you're accessible to these people. Yeah. So they say, well, I talked to Donna. And Donna told yeah. me she doesn't really like Shannon. <laughs> oh,
2: they'll, they'll mess with you.
1: Yeah, and that's, and that's exactly what they'll do. I mean, it I, works. <laughs> Matt Moniz was on uh, Brian Honwash sh- and Donna's show
0: oh, uh, right.
1: last week, and, and I was in the chat mm-hmm. room while it was going on, and people are trying to start crap about other people oh, yeah. in that chat room. It's like it's got nothing to do. That person isn't yeah. here to defend themselves. So it's got nothing to do with the topic at hand. When somebody comes in for the first thing and you're, oh, do you know such and such? Yeah, I know yeah. her. Well, her and I aren't friends anymore because she thinks I yeah. did this.
2: High school call, they want their gossip back. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's its sick. And we worked so hard out there. If you have four or five weeks on the road at a time without family and friends. And, um, you know, we're we're in the shadow of Ghost Hunters, which is even worse, you know. And, and we're not trying to compete with them. It's just a different show. But no matter every move you make, it's scrutinized and it stinks.
1: And accidentally, they've had drama on Ghost Hunters, especially <laughs> when, when Brian was involved. Let's, let's be fair. He yeah. won't mind us being open and honest about it, but there was some drama involved with him. And so, naturally, when
5: he. Some of it is home creation, some of it put together, I, I would say, sure. more by production than anything else.
1: So, naturally, when he comes to Ghost Hunters International, you know, the fans that are watching these shows are expecting somebody to say, oh, there's Brian. Let's see what he's going to do. Oh, yeah. And, you know, that's just. and. To his credit, I mean, when you watch him on the show, he's like, I don't know, I, I want to say he's become almost like the paranormal Johnny Knoxville. I mean, he's doing anything <laughs> he needs to do to get the job done yeah. and, and and get the information out there. And he's going down wells, crawling in caves, you know, and it's it's... So opposite of what people were expecting to have. They thought there was going to be, you know, a fight the first episode. Right. They thought he was going to get kicked off the first episode. Well, that's because you're basing it judged on what you've read on the Internet about him, what people have said about him on a message board.
2: Right.
1: It's just not the way that it goes.
2: It's not the way it goes at all. It's all about editing, um, and there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, there's been times where I can't even watch my own episode because I'm terrified to see what they're going to air and uh, how they're going to make you look and, you know... It, you just get through it. I mean, this is, you forget about how it looks in the long run, and it's all about ghost hunting and the experiences and the places you went. So it's pretty amazing stuff.
1: Matt, Costa, Matt, and I write notes to each other <laughs> back and forth.
8: Like it's high school.
2: Yeah. yeah. It, high school call. They want the notes back. <laughs> well,
1: we, do, we actually do an annual show here. Uh, once a year now we do How Junior High Has the Paranormal Become? And, you know, we'll bring in investigators who have had these things pop up you know, we have people call in and share experiences that they've had where, you know, it can't just be something where everybody works together. Yeah. And when you throw television cameras into the mix, it makes it worse because mm-hmm. what's what's always on the other side of that camera? Jealousy. Mm-hmm. Always.
0: hmm hmm You know, and
1: if uh, we did ten minutes on a Monster Quest episode. So what we went through to film that ten minutes, I can only imagine what you mm-hmm. guys go through to film the whole season. Yeah. And if that's the case, you can have television. <laughs> really. I, yeah. I, I wouldn't uh, want to do it.
2: There's a certain point where it's going to get so overwhelming that people are just going to want to do other things because it almost takes the fun out of it, the drama and the, the gossip and the rumors. Um, somebody said this week to some of my fans that I was no longer filming with GHI, which was false. And uh, that hurts. That really hurts because I don't know where those rumors originated from. Um, I took some time off from the show to build a spa. Everybody knew it. It's not a secret. Yeah. The spa opened on March 19th. You know, we were on. know Plug, plug, plug. No, it, no, Go ahead. Um, Website address: address Spa phone dot com. Westminster, Massachusetts. It's actually a really cool place, um, not like anything anyone's ever seen. But it was a lot of work. I mean, two years worth of work. And uh, you know, it's just one of those things. People just want to tear you apart. They want to see you fail. And uh, now I know. I feel bad for the Britneys and the the Christina Aguileras of the world, and all these. Lindsay Lohan's. I feel bad for him at this point, because you know, no matter what you do, you just can't please anybody. Yeah, they bring a lot of. I'm just a to ghost hunter. So. You know, I'm just a ghost hunter that appeared so far in seven episodes, and, you know, people make fun of me, and I'm fat, and I look like a pig, and it's like, come on, guys. You know, I'm a ghost hunter on TV. You know, I have feelings, and uh, everybody has feelings, and everybody's real, and we were all chosen for a reason to be on this show. We were obviously qualified to be on the show
1: you're, you're not a character which is the problem is they always right. think you're a television character
2: yeah i'm a character i've been i've been stereotyped and type typecasted over and over it's okay whatever i'm over it
1: <laughs> yeah, if that was the case then you know they could just substitute you with another actress to play shannon right?
2: yeah <laughs> they're gonna have to audition for the role of shannon sylvia like i said to keith johnson they said how did they find you i said i auditioned for the role of shannon sylvia <laughs>
1: And it just happened to fit the bill perfectly. You
2: walked in, the casting director said, that's it. That's it. There she is. That's <laughs> what I'm looking for.
1: Well, what do you think, uh, Matt Costin? Should we try to go over and do the weekend weird? Should we try to squeeze it in here? We we only have about two minutes left. I say we go for it. You want to go for it? You sure. want to go a little bit overboard? All right, so we'll do that because we have some interesting stories that we want to get out there. Uh, but also, if you ever want to get a hold of us and have experiences to share and you can't wait till a Saturday night to, to get in touch with us because, hey, let's face it, Sometimes we don't get to be here on Saturday night. As the Red Sox are going to be playing more 7 o'clock games coming up, our times are going to get shifted around a little bit. SpookySouthCoast.com is the place to go. You can always find out what time the show is going to be on. You can find out who our guests are going to be. Uh, You can also download previous episodes, and you can get in touch with us there as well. There's a forum there where you can post up there and share your thoughts and feelings on the paranormal and the topics we discussed. Don't use it as a way to go on there and trash the people on the paranormal TV shows, because we'll delete that but if you want to trash people on this radio show, that's fine, <laughs> as long as it's one of us three. And uh, you can also uh, get a hold of us through MySpace, myspace.com slash SpookySouthCoast, and, of course, good old-fashioned email, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. How, how, how technologically advanced are we when we say good old-fashioned email?
2: You know? <laughs>
1: and uh, Jeff Peckman was talking to us earlier about alien technologies, and I can only imagine you know, if they use this telepathy that uh, a lot of people say that they use. I can only imagine where we're going in the future. I Check see cell your hip. phones.
2: You might be a little more advanced than you think. That's true. Sure. So uh, my, my hips need replacing anyway. <laughs> I'll take that.
1: Carrying around this all the time.
2: It has some gears in there.
1: You know, I'm more worried about the ones that they put in my head, actually. Because <laughs> uh, I don't have enough space in there.
2: But, you know,
5: it, that's the interesting thing about uh, our discussion. Too earlier. much malted hops and bong resin. Yeah.
2: Hey, hey. I see smoke coming out of his ears. I've n- you know how...
1: Rarely I've ever touched that stuff. So. No cigars, that's a different story. But uh yeah, so there you go. Spooky crew at spooky dot com. That's the way to get a hold of us. And uh also we've got some big shows coming up. We're not sure about next week's program. We're still working that out. We still got some uh some calls to make and some emails to write about next week's program. But July fifth, right? July fifth. try and do the math in my head that's going to be our big demonology show with dr william bradshaw and uh, you heard us invite keith johnson in earlier on in the program hopefully we can get him involved as well but we've got some interesting ideas we want to do for that let us know what do you want to know about demonology you know we've we've talked about it quite a bit here on the show in the last three years we want to know what you think about demonology where you want to take that discussion shoot us an email send us a message and uh, we'll try and get the appropriate guests do you have any questions about demonology that have yet to be answered
8: I don't know. I'll, uh, <laughs> He's like, to tune in and find out.
1: There you go. Oh, you're gonna you're gonna save him up for the show. Maybe. That's a tease. Maybe. I like that. Tease.
0: <laughs> I like that.
1: <laughs> but you know, it's it's something that uh, a lot of people. I'm sure you know in in your investigation here in Massachusetts, working with NEP, you know, demonology comes up, and it's it's something that you find people are kind of gravitating toward. Without really having the background and the information.
2: Yeah, demonology is a hot topic right now. and Everybody claims they have a demon, so uh, we've got to dispel some myths. It's pretty rare to have a demon haunting, demonic,
1: very rare. And if you do, it's probably not uh, the best idea to run right into it yourself if you don't have experience <laughs> with that type of thing.
2: Please do not get the Ouija board out. Well, it doesn't work? You do I think it, it works too well. Yeah, <laughs> just, just take measures, but people... Um, you know, I, I think the more you see demonologists and the more you hear about it, people, just like ghost hunting, you know, plain old ghost hunting is wearing off and everybody's got a, a demon haunting their house now. And now demonologists are sprouting out by the minute. I've got them contacting me every day. So. And i got to say, uh. not,
1: not to crack on any particular show, but Paranormal State has really got people yeah. thinking demonology. Well,
2: thank you, Paranormal State. It, it reminds me of the uh, the one of the last scenes in Ghostbusters when, you know, Everything hits the streets, and you got the Marshmallow Man marching down the street, and dogs you know, and cats
1: living together. Mass hysteria,
2: chaos, mass hysteria,
1: <laughs> and that's of uh, all
2: shapes and sizes. <laughs>
1: that's what the world is coming to.
2: It's the end of the world.
1: Giant Stay puff Marshmallow Man outside the Spooky Studio. Love it. All right. Well, why don't we take a break? When we come back after the Midnight News. We'll come back on the other side. We'll just wrap things up with the Weekend Weird. We've got some interesting stories for you, so stay tuned for that. Maybe we can uh, hit some new people in the midnight hour that don't usually get to listen to us. All right, we'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast.
6: More bad
4: news. Well, i got a great show for you, today with
0: some wonderful weird stuff. Huh? I feel, I feel so very weird.
1: <laughs> the Week in Weird All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. We're going to wrap things up here with The Week in Weird, our weekly news segment about all the strange and unusual stories that are floating out there around the wire. This one comes from CNN. You know, I've been hearing about this in a lot of different mainstream uh, news media, but let's go with the CNN version of the story. What was believed to be the sixth human foot to wash up on the shores of British Columbia in recent months proved to be a fake, authority said Thursday. A, quote, skeletonized animal paw had been placed in a sock and athletic shoe that was packed with dry seaweed, the British Columbia Coroner's Service announced. The hoax was uncovered as the coroner's office began DNA and other forensic tests on the supposed foot in an attempt to identify the person to whom it belonged. The coroner's service, a forensic pathologist, and an anthropologist all examined the shoe and the remains before declaring it a fake. The find came amid conjecture over the source of five other severed human feet that have been found along the Canadian province's Pacific coast in the past 11 months. Authorities are continuing to investigate multiple possibilities on the origin of the feet, from foul play to the possibility that they belong to victims of a plane crash. Uh, there are so many feet that have been found there, uh, in a shoe, outside of shoe's, Uh, And the first four feet were found all right feet, and that made the one that was found last week the only left foot, which is what raised suspicion. Uh, An uh, an expert on ocean currents told the Sun in Canada that a foot-wearing, a buoyant athletic shoe could float as far as a 1,000 miles. Although the gruesome finds have drawn international attention, police said it may take some time to unravel the mystery. The mystery has caused a stir and led to many rumors, locals say. One newspaper has begun investigating a rash of young men who have gone missing in the area, and some have wondered whether the feet could belong to five men who were in a plane crash three years ago in the waterway where the feet were found. Well, if there are five men in the plane crash, then I guess the most you can find is ten. So once you start getting into the 11th foot, then we start to wonder about that. I mean, not to be gruesome, just saying, simple process of illumination, but feet being
8: found in the water, I mean,
1: that's crazy. What's going on up there in Canada? I thought that place was supposed to be a better place to live. <laughs> uh, I guess not if well, it was a
8: plane full of uh, guys from the circus. Guys Who had multiple fleets.
1: Oh, that's true. That's true. could be like a freak show plane. Right. Yeah, they're, they're fine. They're walking around fine. They just got rid of the extras. <laughs> I'm running out of feet to put in my mouth. Uh-huh. Matt Costa, what do you have for us?
8: A new website is offering a miraculous service. Emails sent to loved ones behind on Earth after you've been swept up into heaven after the rapture. You've been left leftbehind.com promises to alert up to 62 people exactly six days after after the event that according to the Bible, Bible signals the beginning of Armageddon. You've been left behind gives you one last opportunity to, to reach your lost family and friends for Christ.
1: And rub it in their face. Yeah.
8: <laughs> the site promoting the services says. Final emails from vanished subscribers will be triggered when three of the site's five Christian staffers fail to log in for six days in a row, the site charges $40 a year for the service, which includes 150 megabyte encrypted storage space recommended for financial information. In the encrypted portion of the, of your account, you give you can give access to banking, brokerage, hidden valuables, and powers of attorney. Oh. there won't be any bodies, so the so the website says. So the probate court will take up to seven years to clear your assets to your next of kin seven years of course is all that will be left so basically the government of the of the antichrist gets your stuff unless you make it available in another way according according to christian theology after the rapture Satan will rule a global government that will torment doubters with seven years of tribulation and this is from fox news really yes why does that not surprise me they're they're accurate right
1: Oh, isn't Bill O'Reilly the Antichrist? Oh, one of the many (laughs) suspected Antichrists that exist in my mind? So, uh, basically, you can avoid, you know... Bono. That's a... We're going to do a whole show (laughs) on Bono being the Antichrist, but that's beside the point. I I just think it's kind of funny that, you know, seven years and seven years of tribulation, you know, it's kind of like they thought it out in advance. And also, you know, that's something people got to worry about. You know, there's no rapture insurance. There's (laughs) nothing that, like, you can put a clause in your life insurance that, should I go up in the rapture... You know, all my assets go to this person. It might be something to be worth looking into. It might be. I mean, if they can have, you know, hurricane, flood, earthquake insurance, Robot. they can have rapture
2: insurance. How oh? about spontaneous human combustion insurance. insurance?
1: I think, th- aren't there some policies that cover that?
5: Actually, there are.
1: I think so, yeah. It's just a really high premium.
2: Oh, great. <laughs>
5: and it's you can't, also you can't be a smoker. deduction insurance, believe it or not.
2: No, we, it. We, we've
1: <laughs> taken some out on Matt <laughs> Moniz. Because at least if he's going to go up yeah. there, we want to make a buck off of it. Speaking of making a buck off them, what do you got for us, Matt?
5: Ah. A Chinese company has developed a prototype flying saucer that can hover in the air and be controlled remotely from afar, said State Press on Tuesday. The aircraft is 1.2 meters, 4 feet in diameter, and is able to take off and land vertically and hover at an altitude up to 1,000 meters or yards. The ZANU News Agency said... The unmanned disc is driven by a propeller and can be controlled remotely or sent on a preset flight path. It is said its top speed is 80 kilometers an hour or roughly 50 50 miles an hour, uh, they added. It took the Harbin Smart Special AeroCraft Company Limited 12 years and 28 million yen, that's approximately $4.1 million, to develop the prototype aircraft which was designed... For aerial photography, geological surveys, and emergency lighting, the report said. I just have
1: one question: If the Chinese can invent a spaceship uh, in order to fly around in a UFO, why well, can't they remember the duck sauce with my order?
0: <laughs> Got me.
1: And how come it takes them an hour and forty-five minutes to deliver it?
5: My question is: Do you want to fly it again after an hour?
1: Me, yeah, sure. <laughs> Wow, we're politically incorrect after midnight around here. <laughs> well, let's see. We've picked on the Canadians. we picked on the Christians. we picked on the Chinese. Anything
2: over there, Shannon, that you can use
1: to uh, disparage the Croatians?
2: Well, I think I've got the most morbid story of us all tonight. From the Daily Record in the UK, the remains of a woman have been found sitting in front of her TV 42 years after she was reported missing. Wow. Hedviga Golik was born in 1924, had apparently made herself a cup of tea before sitting in front of her favorite armchair and her black and white television. Croatian police said she was last seen by neighbors in 1966, popular lady, when she would have been 42 years old. Her neighbors thought she had moved out of her apartment, but she was found by police who had broken in to help authorities establish who owned the apartment. A police spokesman said, So far we have no idea how it's possible that somebody officially reported missing so long ago was not found before in the same apartment she used to live in. When officers went there, they said it was like stepping into a place frozen in time. The cup that she had been drinking tea from was still on the table next to the chair she had been sitting in, and the house was full of things nobody had seen for decades. Nothing had been disturbed for decades, even though there were more than a few cobwebs in there. The moral of this story is that tea decomposes at a very much slower rate than the human body. And also, try to have a few friends. Oh. At least a few. Poor thing. She obviously wasn't up on MySpace. No. <laughs> no, and what's odd
1: about it is uh, when, they, when they walked in and they turned on the TV and saw what she was watching, she was actually watching Sex in the City, which was kind of <laughs> funny because... You know, it went off the air in 2004.
2: Yeah, so. Sarah Jessica Parker was around back then, wasn't she? Um, yeah. She could have been. Kim Cattrall was. Ugh. Send your hate <laughs> mail to... <Ugh. laughs> Sabertooth Tiger.
1: <laughs> oh, we, we accept all forms of hate mail, electronic and snail. We don't care. <laughs> all right, well, that about does it for this week's show. I think uh, we've gone over time. We have to pay extra for this, right? This comes out of our pockets? I think so. All right, so uh, why don't we turn you over to Lars Larson, Jim yeah. Bohannon, one of those guys. And until next week, for Matt Costa, for Matt Moniz, for Shannon Sylvia, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spectacular.
0: Bye.
5: Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy. And what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow.
0: tomorrow. I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen.